Genesis, uh, chapter 1. Verse 3, God speaks. We know Genesis very well. Uh, we've memorized, some of us have, the, the very beginning parts uh, of that that says, in the beginning, God created the, the heavens and the earth, and the, the earth was without form, and void and darkness hovered over the deep, and the, the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. And then in verse 3, it says, and then God said, God said something, he He had something to say. He said, let there be light, and there was. And then he said, let the waters come together, and they did. And then he said, let vegetation sprout over all the earth, and it did. He he was doing something there. God was preaching. He was speaking his creation into being. He he was preaching the world, the creation. He, He was preaching all of that into existence by his very word. He spoke it, and it was. So God begins everything with a sermon. He, he preaches the whole world into being. He, he continues his emphasis on preaching by coming to prophet after prophet after prophet and saying to them, I have a word for you, or I have a message for you, or I have something that I want to tell you, and then I want you to say that word to my people. I want you to preach to my people. And so generation after generation after generation, God used men to preach to his people. And so the temple was set up in Jerusalem, and what happens? For hundreds of years, God-appointed priests stand in the temple and open up holy scrolls, read from them, and then say what that word says. They they preach, they, they preach, and what do those prophets tell us? What does those holy scrolls tell us? Well, that there will be one who comes crying out as a voice from the wilderness or preaching from the wilderness, and he will be preparing the way. And so what happens? This guy named John the Baptist shows up on the scene, and what does he do to prepare the way for Jesus? He preaches. He preaches, repent, for the day of the Lord is at hand. And then Jesus steps into human history. He comes onto the scene, and to be sure, he healed the sick, right? He, he did that. He healed the sick. He performed many miracles, but he preached. He preached. He proclaimed God's word. He, he proclaimed who he was and what he had come to do. And listen, Thousands of people came to hear Jesus preach before telephones, before cell phones, before Instagram, Twitter, email. He was drawing crowds of thousands of people because his preaching ministry was so dynamic. When Jesus opened up the word, people just flocked to it. They'd never heard anybody preach like that before. They'd never heard sermons like that before. And it drew them in and it did something to their hearts and their souls and it radically transformed their whole life through preaching. And so Jesus says, um, I'm not going to stay with you. I'm, I'm going to go, and it's better if I go because I'm going to send another helper. And so that's what he does. We saw that last week. He ascends into heaven, and then he sends the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes, and carrying on in the ministry that God had set up from creation all the way through the ministry of Jesus, carrying on through that ministry, the apostles then stand, and what do they do? Preach. They preach. This is God's method. This is God's way. The preaching in the book of Acts is incredibly frequent. It takes a prominent place all throughout the chapters. There are 19 major sermons, discourses, and defenses recorded in Acts. There are eight sermons by Peter, one sermon by Stephen, one sermon by James, and nine sermons by Paul. Sermons and discourses and defenses make up 25% of the book of Acts. So so that's one in every four verses in Acts is some part of a sermon. So we can tell and know that the supernatural growth of the church in Acts came through supernatural preaching of God's word. 
How does the church go? How does the church grow? I mean, this is a hostile environment for the church to, to come about in. The, the, the Jews in Jerusalem were not excited about Jesus. They had just killed him. Rome did not want another, another power. They didn't want another dictator. They didn't want another king other than Caesar. This is not a good environment for the church to grow. So how does it grow? Supernatural powerful, spirit-filled preaching. Everywhere they go, they preach and people are converted. Or they go somewhere and they preach and they kill them, okay, they kill the preacher and people still get converted. It it came through supernatural, Holy Spirit-empowered, passionate, scriptural preaching. That's how the church went, that's how the church spread, that's why you're sitting in this room today because of powerful, supernatural preaching. And so it is today in every church that the pulpit drives the church. The preaching of God's word drives the local church. It sets the tone, it sets the pace of the church, it sets the direction, it sets the vision of the church. That all comes from the pulpit. It it essentially is the air war, and then what we do in community groups is essentially the ground war. But, but it begins with the air war. It begins with the communicating of God's holy word. This is what God says. This is the way we should live our lives. This is what we should do. This is how we should act. This is how we should think. This is how we should feel. All coming from God's word through sermons, through the preaching of God's word. And then it lands squarely in our lives and works out from there. But it comes from the pulpit. It comes from the pulpit. Now, sadly, sadly, Over the last 20 years specifically, we've seen a massive devaluing of preaching in many, many churches. It came on the tails of the seeker-sensitive movement, which brought in lots of great things, lots of great things. But the idea became, well, if we want to get more lost people in our churches, then what we need to do is really dumb down. We need to water down our sermons so that they're more acceptable to lost people so that more lost people will come. Now, I wholeheartedly disagree with that. If I have lost people, I'm preaching longer. I'm preaching more, right? I want to communicate more God's truth. But because of what happened through that movement, we've seen a massive devaluing of preaching. We, we get less theology and more theater in many pulpits today. Um, and, and this is a great tragedy, that it becomes kind of a, instead of proclaiming God's word, we're, we're more apt to give um, some type of casual, comfortable commentary on life and politics. This is not the way God intended. We we should never devalue preaching. Preaching isn't just a part of the service. It's not just something that we're gonna do in some type of emotional, creative display of art. That's not what the sermon is. If you notice here at Gospel Community Church, how do we design our services? We put the sermon in the middle to show that God's word and the preaching of God's word is the very center of what we do. We do that intentionally. Um, so, while there is nothing inherently sinful in entering the pulpit on a zip line and having pyrotechnics perfectly timed for your landing, it sends a message that we don't trust in the power of God's word. Okay? Uh, again, I, I'm not saying that that's inherently sinful or wicked. But what I'm saying is, Sometimes we can do things in the pulpit. We can take the sermon and and we're trying so hard to make it relevant, which you don't have to make God's word relevant. It already is. And, And we're trying so hard to make it creative and to make it relevant that the message that we're actually portraying is, I don't trust in God's word, and so I need all of this stuff. And listen, I'm not against using props or or what whatever. That, that's all fine and dandy. What I'm saying is we, we need to be careful specifically in the Southern culture in America because I think sometimes we go too far. Amen? Okay. Now, I want to talk about another danger that is actually greater than the devaluing of preaching. Now, that's a huge danger. 
to, to devalue preaching, but I think there's a greater, a greater danger, which is the deadening of preaching. The deadening of preaching. A boring sermon. That is the greatest tragedy ever. Sermons should never, ever, ever be boring. Ever. That, that is a great, great tragedy. That men who love the Bible and love preaching oftentimes seem like the guys who are snuffing out the fire that's in the Word inherently. That, that their, their sermons become, um, you know, they're walking you through the Greek and the historical background. All that stuff's great and fine, and I do that too, but it's boring. To, to take something so exciting and so rich and so beautiful and make it boring is a huge tragedy. Oftentimes, they become a lifeless lecture. They become an information transfer or a data dump. They are boring. Here's what Howard Hendricks has to say. He is a professor at the, uh, was a professor at the Dallas Theological Seminary. He told his students, do not bore your people with the Bible. Bore them with Shakespeare, but never with the Bible. So what we're going to do today um, is essentially preach on preaching. If you haven't picked that up yet, we're gonna, we're gonna preach on preaching. What we see in our text is essentially cliff notes um, from a sermon that Peter stands to preach. It's, it's, it's cliff notes. We know this isn't the word for word of the sermon because it says in chapter 2, verse 40, that with many other words he bore witness. Okay? Um, so we know this is essentially just the cliff notes. Um, so what Dr. Luke has done here is he was there, he, he's, he's seen uh, Peter preach this sermon, and he's kind of, he's jotting down the, the cliff notes or the outline of this sermon, and that's what we find here in our text. So I want to talk about what a sermon should be. I want to talk about apostolic preaching. I want to tell you what that is, okay? Now, the scary thing is, once I do that, now I have to come back every week from here on out and and do what I'm saying preaching is and should be. So this makes my job harder, um, but, but um, that's, our, that's our goal today. So today's sermon is part one um, of a two-part mini-series within our series called The Power of Apostolic Preaching. I almost did one long sermon, okay, uh, but all of you have barbecues to get to, um, so I will not do that, okay? Um, so, just to recap, Jesus um, ha has come and lived the life that we should have lived. Um, he, he has obeyed God perfectly in his earthly ministry. Um, then what he does is he goes to the cross and dies for our sin. He dies for your sin. He dies for my sin. His righteousness is given to us. Okay? We, we become righteous in the sight of the Lord because of what Jesus did on the cross. He then ascends after he ascends, then he sends his Holy Spirit. Last week, what did we see? Tongues of fire, mighty rushing wind. The Holy Spirit shows up in power. It, it seems like after that, you just go home, you know? I mean, if I'm sitting in a room, tongues of fire, mighty rushing wind, I'm, I'm eating a sandwich and taking a nap. I'm done for the day. What in the world can happen after something like Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13? I mean, that, that was just a crazy time, that was a crazy day, the day of Pentecost, well, what happens is Peter stands to preach. We see the very beginning of apostolic preaching, okay? Now, here's my main idea. If you're a big idea person, here's what I want to communicate today. Apostolic preaching is the type of preaching we need in the church today, okay? Apostolic preaching is the type of preaching we need in the church today, why, glad you asked, because God has designed our souls to be converted and sanctified through sermons, therefore, you need to hear apostolic preaching. God has designed our souls, the way that we're made to be and live and move and breathe, he has designed us to be converted through sermons, Romans chapter 10, okay, how are they to to be saved unless someone preaches. He's designed us to be converted through sermons and sanctified, meaning growing in Christ-likeness day to day, becoming more and more um, like Jesus, 
less sinful, more like Jesus. That's sanctification, okay? He's designed sermons to be a key player in your sanctification. That's why we need apostolic preaching. Let me define apostolic preaching. Apostolic preaching is the type of preaching done by the apostles, hence that's why I'm saying apostolic preaching, the type of preaching done by the apostles when they burst onto the world stage and change history forever, okay? So what I'm saying is the type of preaching that happens in Acts is a model or a type of the preaching that should be going on today. Now, this isn't a word-for-word sermon, so, so it's not like we can say, okay, apostolic preaching is just reading exactly what Peter said, but there are some principles here, there's some guidelines here that should now guide the type of preaching that happens in the New Testament church today. We can look then, this is how they preached then, this is how we should preach today. That's my argument. Does that make sense? You guys with me? Okay. So, That's what we're going to be looking at today. Again, if you're a note taker, I have six characteristics of apostolic preaching. We're only doing three today, unless you wanna go six. Note takers, very good. Number one, (laughs) number one, apostolic preaching is spirit-filled preaching. Apostolic preaching, or how the apostles taught and preached God's word was spirit-filled preaching. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And then he gives them the great commission, and then he leaves. <laughs> but he said, apart from me, you can do nothing. But what does he do? He sends his Holy Spirit to empower them to, to preach. And so, what do they do? They wait. Once Jesus leaves, Peter doesn't immediately stand and preach. The disciples don't immediately stand and preach. What do they do? They wait for the Spirit to come. The Spirit comes, they are filled with the Spirit, and then Peter preaches, and and, and Stephen preaches, and James preaches, and, and Paul preaches. They wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit. Spirit filled preaching, listen means that the preacher himself must be totally surrendered over to the Spirit. Ephesians says this, do not be drunk with wine, but be what? Filled with the Spirit. It's a very interesting comparison the Apostle Paul makes there in Ephesians. Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Why wouldn't he say, do not be drunk with wine, but be sober? Or, or do not be drunk with wine, don't get drunk. That, that wasn't the comparison. The comparison was, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. The comparison is someone who is drunk with wine is totally under its control and surrendered over to it. And the Apostle Paul says, no, that that is not for the believer. The believer is not to be under the control of alcohol or surrender to alcohol. Rather, the believer is to be surrendered to and under the control of the Spirit. So when the preacher climbs the stage, when he enters into the pulpit, his goal, his focus, his heart's intent should be, Holy Spirit, I am surrendered to you. I am willing to say whatever it is that you want me to say. I am not here to give my thoughts, my commentary, my opinion. I am here to communicate what the Holy Spirit has to say to your people. That is spirit-filled preaching. And that comes through continuous, continuous prayer. Every week, every week, I sit down at my desk and I I beg the Spirit, Spirit, if you don't speak on Sunday, I'm only going to give a lifeless lecture. But if you speak, there will be life change. If, if you'll come and do something. So, man, I'm, just, I'm praying all through the week. When, when I sit down to study, I'm praying. When, when I, I come in on Sunday morning, I'm praying, Spirit, come. Spirit, come. Spirit, speak. Spirit, fill me. Let, let this be a, an apostolic, spirit-filled preaching. Let, let that happen today. Let, let that be, Lord. You come. You do it. It has to be total surrender, which comes through prayer And and the final piece of spirit-filled preaching is that it is Christ-exalting. 
It is Christ-exalting. So spirit-filled preaching comes through the preacher surrendering, saying, I've got nothing to say. I'm I'm laying it all on the line to you. I want to be under your control, speaking your words. That comes through prayer, constantly praying all throughout the week, praying on Sunday morning, even right now as I'm speaking to you, praying, saying, come on, Holy Spirit. It's surrender, it's prayer, and it's also Christ-exalting. Okay? It, it's Christ. That, that's, that's the end of spirit-filled preaching. Okay? Spirit-filled preaching points to Jesus. The Holy Spirit always points beyond himself to Christ. The truth is, if you are in a spirit-filled church, then the focus will be on Jesus. The, the message is about Jesus. If the focus is not on Jesus and his work, then you are not in a spirit church. This means that the main focus of the preaching is not, listen, spiritual gifts. Now, we're going to talk about spiritual gifts today. Did you see that in the text? They they, they got visions and they're dreaming dreams and there's prophecy. We're we're talking about spiritual gifts today, but that's not the main focus or, or that's not the end goal. Nor is spirit-filled preaching all about material blessings and financial stability? Come on now. I'm doing some course correcting for churches in the South that want to talk about spirit-filled preaching and say that it ends on or lands on spiritual gifts, speaking in tongues, prophecy, interpretation of tongues. This is spirit-filled preaching. The goal or the point of spiritual preaching is to point to Christ, not to point to material blessings. Oh, if you'll just pray to the Holy Spirit and tithe, then you'll receive a spiritual blessing today. That is not spirit-filled preaching. Nor is spirit-filled preaching focusing on declaring some future circumstance of comfort that will bring you happiness. Oh, I'm declaring my future destiny this morning. And if you just declare and believe it, it will be so through the power of spirit-filled preaching. Absolutely not. That is not the goal. That is not the trajectory. That is not the intent of spirit-filled preaching. Spirit-filled preaching points to Christ, exalts Christ, raises Christ above all else and says, you can have all the material blessings in the world. You can quote whatever, declare whatever, but unless you have Christ, you will not be fulfilled within your souls. It raises Jesus above and high and lifts him up and says, all look to him. That is spirit-filled preaching. So, spirit-filled preaching enters into the text on the day of Pentecost. Peter is filled with the spirit and he stands to preach God's word. And what does he have to say? Look at verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. Listen, 50 days before this happened, a, a slave girl, a servant girl approached Peter and said, weren't you with him? And he said, I never knew him. I don't, I don't, I don't know him. And 50 days later, he stands. He is not timid. He is not scared. He is filled with the Spirit and boldly proclaims. What what does he proclaim? He says, it says he lifted up his voice. Okay, listen, there are thousands upon thousands of people in Jerusalem at this time. How many people get saved? Remember? 3,000 are going to get saved. So imagine, I mean, just a sea of thousands of people, and Peter stands and lifts up his voice. What else? It says that he says, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. He he stands and he announces that he's about to say something. So number two, okay, apostolic preaching is passionate Preaching, it's, it's passionate. There's, there's fire in it, okay? The, the old Puritans used to say, when it comes to preaching, it's not just light, but there's also gotta be heat. It, it's, it's not just what you say, but it's also 
how you say it. Does that make sense? There's got to be light in the pulpit, and there's got to be heat in the pulpit. There's got to be heat there. The, the text must be thrilling to the preacher. If the preacher is not lit on fire by the text, it is impossible for him to set anyone else ablaze. So it must begin with stirring and igniting the heart of the preacher. And, and then he must stand on the stage. And with what has got him stirred up, with, with what got the preacher set on fire, he then sets his congregation ablaze with God's word. Peter stands and passionately, boldly proclaims God's word. Here's a quote from the great theologian Martin Lloyd-Jones. He says, preaching is theology on fire. I love that. Oftentimes when we think of theology, we think of old, dead, tired, boring, big words that nobody understands. Dusty, you know, just the theology. I mean, who wants that? He says preaching is theology. All of that stuff lit ablaze on fire. One of my favorite Puritans is named Richard Baxter. Here's what he had to say about preaching. He says, I preach as to never preach again, as a dying man to dying men. Richard Baxter says, when I climb in the pulpit, I'm gonna preach like I'm never gonna get to preach again. I'm gonna preach like I'm gonna die tomorrow and all you are dying tomorrow too. I, I preach as if never to get to, get to preach again, as a dying man to dying men. To proclaim that I have um, the, the cure for the greatest human need in a monotone or passionless way is silly. Think about if I came on stage and, and, I, and I said to you, um, hey guys, um, I, I discovered the, the cure for cancer. All right, see you next week. That, that would be inconsistent, wouldn't it? If I communicated to you great news in a monotone or passionless way, it would be inconsistent with the message. Now, might I submit to you that the message that we're proclaiming here is greater than the cure for cancer. Why? Because the cure for cancer only heals temporally, and this great gospel heals eternally. So, to, to communicate the gospel in a passionless way is actually to portray or betray the content of the message. Good news is to be communicated with joy, passion, exuberance, excitement. It should stir your heart. It should stir the heart of the preacher. Apostolic preaching is passionate, passionate preaching. So Peter stands, verse 15. Here's what he has to say. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. He begins with his defense. What had they said uh, in, in the previous section? What is that, verse uh, 13? But others mocking said that they are filled with new wine. He stands and makes his defense. Hey, I've got something to say. He lifted up his voice. He begins his sermon with his defense. These guys aren't drunk, okay? It's only the third hour of the day, meaning it's 9 a.m. Uh, Jewish tradition was to eat breakfast at 10, okay? So, so he stands up and says, guys, look, we haven't been drinking before breakfast, Okay, we're not drunk as, as you suppose. He makes his defense, we're not drunk, and then gets right to the point. What he's going to do is he's going to quote Old Testament scripture from the book of Joel chapter two, okay? Verse 16, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Let's just read through the whole thing and then, and then we're gonna kind of come back and, and take it apart. And in the last days, it shall be, God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We've been cruising at sort of 30,000 feet looking at apostolic preaching. Um, what makes this sermon Two parts is that I, I want to I zoom now, okay? I, I want to take the plane down and land squarely in this text 
because I want to show you why he, he quotes Joel here. Okay? And, and then we're going to come back up to 30,000 feet and talk more about apostolic preaching. Does that make sense? You guys with me? Okay. Let's dig down into this. He begins in verse 16. Look back at it again. But this is what? Okay. Everyone in, in verses 1 through 13 are bewildered and, and they're, they're very curious about what's happening. Mighty rushing wind, tongues of fire, people speaking in foreign languages who didn't previously know those foreign languages. I mean, there's something mysterious happening here. It said the crowd was bewildered and amazed. So what Peter stands to do is to explain to all of the people what's happening. You guys are bewildered and amazed? Well, let me tell you what's happening. I'll quote Joel chapter 2. So what he's saying is what Joel prophesied hundreds of years before is happening right now. The, the prophecy from Joel is coming true. That's why it says in verse 16, but this is what was uttered. Joel said it, now it's happening. What, what's happening? Okay. Anybody else read this section and it just sounds weird? Visions, dreams, prophecies, blood, fire, smoke. I mean, this, this is weird stuff, right? Look at verse 17. And in the last days. So, what is he saying? What's Peter saying about Joel? What's Joel prophesying? He's saying that the last days are here. The last days are here now. Now, I don't want you to suffer from a hijacked eschatology. Okay? Eschatology means study of the last times or study of the end times. I don't want you to suffer from a hijacked way of thinking about the end times. Oftentimes when, when we in this modern context talk about the end times, all we think about is a very short amount of time, maybe three years, maybe seven years, maybe six months, to where everything goes terrible and the whole world goes to hell in a handbasket. That's what, so, okay, that, that's how I was brought up and, and in my mind. When you said end times, I think, a very short amount of time where, the, where the, everything goes bad. Wars and you know, famines and plagues and stuff like that. Now, that is a part. It's a part. It's not the whole. Okay? So, he is saying here that the last days have started. So, are we, we, Gospel Community Church, are we living in the last days? Yes. And so were the apostles. On the day of Pentecost, when the day of Pentecost comes, that begins the last days. The last days started on the day of Pentecost, and we are still in the last days. Again, in my thinking, the, the way I was brought, I always thought last days are, you know, it's just a really short amount of time. Everything goes terrible. Jesus comes back. Here the view is the last days started then and are continuing on till right now. In addition, the, the focus here is not only on everything going bad. The last days for them inaugurate what? The power of the Spirit. The last days are here. The end time has come. What does that mean? It means God has poured out his Spirit, and, and we can now preach. People can be saved. Things can be restored and redeemed. And all, I mean, this is also a part of the, the way they viewed the last days. The last days was the days of salvation. The last days was the days of redemption. The last days was the days of the pouring out of the Spirit. Now, it does end bad. Look at verses 19 and 20. And there will be wonders in the heaven, signs above, blood and fire and vaporous smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day the Lord comes. So um, does it get really bad at the end of the end of the days? <laughs> yes, but I want you to see the full view. I want you to see the full view. Not just when it gets real bad, but the end time signifies the coming of the Holy Spirit. It, it, it signifies the pouring out of the Spirit. It signifies salvation, restoration, um, and, and the like. Okay? So, in addition, what he's saying through this prophecy is the Spirit has come indiscriminately to all his people. So the whole crowd is confused. What's happening? What's going on? Tongues of fire, wind, and these people are speaking all these weird languages. What's going on? 
It's signifying, Peter then says, hey, let me explain to you guys what's happening here. You guys remember what Joel said, that's happening now. The Spirit has come upon all of God's people indiscriminately. Look back at it, verse 17. And in the last days, it shall be, God declares, I will pour out my Spirit on what? All flesh, meaning all the flesh in the covenant community, meaning all of God's children. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Okay, so, so now we have sons and daughters Young men shall see visions, old men, male servants, female servants. That's the whole gambit. Old people, young people, upper class, middle class, white, black, green, yellow, purple. The Holy Spirit's coming and he's going to fill, he's going to rest on and stay with all of God's people, which was different than what he did in the Old Testament. Remember we talked about that last week. So, so the thing is, he's saying the Holy Spirit has come indiscriminately upon all people. That's what's happening here today. That's what Peter is saying through Joel. In addition, the result from the last day's beginning and the Spirit being poured out upon all flesh is this. The result is gifts are given for the building of the church. Gifts are given, spiritual gifts are given for the building up of the church. What did it say? It says, your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. And on every male servant and female servant in those days, I will pour out my spirit and all shall prophesy. Prophesy, okay? So he said, I want you to see the flow of the text. They're gonna prophesy. They're gonna see visions, dream dreams, and prophesy. So, so prophecy here is the umbrella under which um, visions and dreams fall under. So let's look at prophecy, okay? What is prophecy? Well, in the Old Testament, it was the authoritative word from which God spoke to humans. God would show up to someone and say, here's my word. He would give that word to that person, his prophet. That person would then go and say, thus says the Lord. That's a refrain in the Old Testament. All of the Old Testament prophets say that. They'll say something and they'll say, thus says the Lord. That is the authoritative, the words that I just said are the exact words from God. Okay, That is prophecy in the Old Testament. Now, it makes a shift in the New Testament and becomes a, a broader way of looking at prophecy. In the New Testament, prophecy is a word from the Lord that is given for encouragement and for the building up of the church, and is to be tested. Okay, let me read that again, and then I'm gonna prove it to you by showing you the scriptures. In the New Testament, prophecy is a word from the Lord that is given for encouragement and for the building up of the church, and is to be tested. Okay, now, let's look at 1 Corinthians. It's gonna come up on the screen. 1 Corinthians 14 Verse three, here's what it says. But the one who prophesies, okay, now, stop right there. That means there is prophecy in the New Testament. Some scholars that I really trust and regard and hold them in high esteem uh, believe that these type of gifts ceased and are no more. I disagree with that. Here's great evidence right here. The New Testament church, they're prophesying That means there should be prophecy in the New Testament church today, here and now. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for what? For their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. I don't know if you've ever experienced this before, okay? I don't know if this has ever happened to you. You've been talking with a brother or sister in Christ. You've been sharing with them, and all of a sudden, something comes to mind, and you say it, and they go, man, that was really helpful to me. And you go, I have no idea where that came from. Prophecy is for the encouragement and building up of the people of God. That's what prophecy is. You, you very well may have uttered a prophecy, okay? Uh, now, don't always think about it as uh, focusing on the futuristic. Again, when we say prophecy, a lot of times our mind associates with I have a prophecy of what's gonna happen in the next five years. This person's gonna be president and they, you know, this country's gonna fight this. Co- this right here says, 
The one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening and encouraging and comfort. That it happens within the body of Christ when God miraculously, through the power of his Holy Spirit, brings something to your mind and you speak it to someone else for their encouragement, for their building up, and for their strength. That's what prophecy is. Okay? Now, I want to look at another text, 1 Thessalonians 5, 20 through 21, because I want to show you that it is not authoritative like it was in the Old Testament. It says, do not treat prophecies with contempt. Okay? Don't despise them or think they're silly or weird or dumb. We allow prophecy to happen here at this church. Now, we have a specific way and system that it happens, okay? We don't just, anybody has a problem, we just stand up and pass you a mic. That's not how we do it here. We, we do have a structured system and way that prophecy functions here at this church. We do not despise prophecy, but here's what it says in 1 Thessalonians 5. Do not treat prophecy with contempt, but test them all. Test them all, not, it's not Old Testament, thus says, so I can't say, I have a prophecy from the Lord, everyone. Here's what, thus says the Lord, we're gonna do this. Thus says the Lord, and you can't disagree with me because I said, thus says the Lord. No, 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 no. Don't hold prophecies in contempt, but what does it say? Test them all and hold on to what's good. That means some are bad. Some are bad and should be rejected, okay? So again, my definition is, it is a gift from the Lord to encourage and for the building up of the church. It's not authoritative like it was in the Old Testament. It's not primarily futuristic, but it's used for the encouragement of people. It happens at this church all the time. I pray um, when I step into the pulpit that some of what I say is a prophetic word, okay? Um, we have several people in our church who have the gift um, they run it through that, that word that they receive from the Lord. They run it through our elders and our leaders, okay? And once we've prayed about it and test it, then we bring it to the body. Now, I don't always say, so-and-so had a prophecy and here it is. We don't necessarily always present it that way, but that word does come from the Lord through people here in this church and is spoken to you. That, that's how prophecy operates um, here in this church, okay? Is that clear? You guys, you guys with that? So look back at the text. It says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy and your men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams, even on male and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit and they will prophesy. They will speak to each other and encourage one another. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, signs on the earth below, blood and fire, vapor, smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. Listen to verse 21. Here is the, the stinger on the whole text. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. What is Peter saying? What is Joel saying right here in this text? What's happening? That salvation is open and available. You don't have to be converted to Judaism. You don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to do sacrifices in the temple. You, you don't have to be a good moral person and follow all of the right rules and laws. What you need do is call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. That's it. If you're here today and you don't know if you're saved or not, if you're here today and you know, yep, I'm a sinner, I am so lost, what you need to do in order to be saved in order to spend forever with Jesus, in order to be forgiven of your sins, is to call on Jesus' name. So, what he's saying through this prophecy is you can be saved. That's a good thing. Again, why is the Spirit poured out? The Spirit gets poured out, and then what's the very end of the Spirit getting poured out? Salvation is here. A pointing, again, a pointing to Christ. Spirit-filled preaching here leads to what? Christ-exaltation. He, he didn't just pour it out so that they would speak in tongues and prophesy. That wasn't the end. Did they speak in tongues and prophesy? Yes, but that wasn't the end goal of it. The end goal of it was to proclaim Christ and the salvation that he offers the Spirit was poured out to empower the mission of redemptive history so that people would be saved. Okay, that's what's being said here. Now, we've, we've zoomed in. Let's, let's pan back out and talk again more about apostolic preaching. Um, lastly, number three, apostolic preaching is biblical preaching. Okay, apostolic preaching is 
biblical preaching. Peter is filled with the Spirit. Apostolic preaching is Spirit-filled. He stands passionately, firmly, boldly to proclaim, give me your ears, is what he says. And then, what does he do? He goes to God's Word. He doesn't say, hey guys, I got a great idea. Or yesterday, I... Or I've, I thought about this and I just wanted to share it with you. He goes to and gives them God's word. In addition, we're going to read next time we're together. He's going to go again to God's word and again to God's word. He's going to two more sections of scripture before he's even done with his sermon. He walks us through Joel and he goes through two different psalms. Biblical apostolic preaching is biblical preaching. Okay? It must not be encouraging words. The Bible must be the source. The Bible must be the source of the preaching, where the preaching flows from. The points that are in the text should be the points that are in the sermon. That, that's how biblical preaching happens. When, when I come to the Bible, I don't, I don't say, okay, well, I'd like to have three points in my sermon. I come to the text and say, what are the points in the text, and that's how many points I have in my sermon. See the difference there? Now, the preacher's sermon must not be consumed, using that word intentionally, the preacher's sermons must not be consumed with personal stories or jokes, but it must be primarily consumed with God's word and the explanation of it. Now listen, do I use personal stories? Yes. Do, do I give an attempt at a joke or two? Right, fail miserably, but yeah, I, I give an attempt at a joke or two. What I'm saying is the sermon can't be consumed with that. It can't be consumed with personal stories and jokes and anecdotes. The, the apostolic preaching is consumed with God's word. It's the source. It's the point. It's the, where the information is drawn from. That is apostolic preaching, Okay. Two thoughts, and then I'm, I'm out of your way on this, okay? Number one, view preaching as one of God's vital tools to transform your soul. I really want you to get this, Gospel Community Church. I really want you to get this. I want you to view preaching as one of God's primary tools to transform your soul to transform your marriage. Listen, to transform your parenting, to transform your marriage, God's, one of God's primary tools of taking you from a place of hopelessness to a place of hope is apostolic preaching. Amen? One of God's primary tools of taking you from a life of purposelessness to a life filled with purpose is apostolic preaching. This means that we must be dogmatic and ardent about getting to church on Sunday and sitting under God's word being preached. This is why we go through so much trouble to record the podcast so that if you miss a sermon on Sunday, you can go download it and, and listen to it. You're continually sitting under the preaching of God's word. It's how he designed you. It's how he designed your soul. It's, it's been his plan from the beginning. He passed it on to his apostles. They kept doing it. The, the church spread and pastors everywhere right now are climbing in the pulpits to preach God's word. Why? Because he wants to use sermons to transform your life to change you. He, he uses them every week to change me, to transform me. Number two, come longing to see Christ exalted in the preaching at Gospel Community Church. I want you to view these sermons, I want you to view apostolic preaching or gospel preaching as a necessity for your soul because it's how God designed you. He, he made you, designed you to be sat under gospel preaching. And I want you to show up on Sunday foaming at the mouth, chomping at the bit. We want to hear Christ exalted. We want to hear Jesus lifted high in the sermon this morning. And we're excited and we can't wait to the part in the sermon where Kirk starts to lose his mind and his veins start popping out on his head and he starts proclaiming Jesus. We're excited about that and we want to see that happen at this church. Amen? 
So know that this type of preaching is necessary for your soul and come every single Sunday hungry, ready. Man, get, get to that part in the sermon. Come on. Come on, I'm ready for you. I'm ready for you to, to extol Christ. I'm ready for you to lift Jesus on high. I'm ready for you to make much of him. And I'm ready to hear that because I know my soul needs it. Let me pray for us. Father, may the preaching that comes from this church, may the preaching that comes from this pulpit be apostolic preaching. May the preaching be spirit-filled. Father, I pray that your spirit would rest heavily on me, um, on the elders of this church who share in the teaching. Father, I pray that um, you would fill us uh, with passion. God, that there would be um, no disconnect between the good news and, and how we're saying it, that, that we're so passionate about this gospel that, that we will look a fool if it displays passion. Father, I pray that the preaching that comes from uh, this church is biblical, that it's saturated in your word, um, that we don't hail or raise above our own thoughts or um, our own commentaries on life and um, how we should do things, but, but we hail uh, and proclaim your word through the text, uh, being faithful to the Bible um, and giving it all we've got. Father, I pray that men um, would come to this church and they would seek to labor in preaching. Father, give me strength and endurance as I labor in preaching. Help me to suffer well, to suffer long, and to carry um, th this incredible, incredible, and beautiful burden of preaching. Help me to carry it well. Um, help the other elders of this church uh, to carry it well. Um, help our shoulders to broaden. Help our backs to become stronger as we labor in preaching and teaching. And help the people of this church to value, to deeply value gospel preaching, apostolic preaching. Help them to value it and see it as a necessity for their souls. And Father, help them most of all to come here on Sundays and long to see Christ exalted, long to hear Jesus' name lifted high, long to hear Jesus' name extolled um, in the sermon week after week. We ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name, amen.